Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, it might sound familiar if you were here last week, because it's what we studied last week, but we did it in part, right? We stuck it in the guise of Ephesians 2, 3, and then we walked, the last point was all about these few verses, and it reads like this. Now, these are the gifts God gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, and the responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come into such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up in the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, it's a blessing and a curse to have Christ as our standard, right? It's a blessing because we have something to model our lives off of. It's a curse because I can never achieve what Christ has done, right? He was perfection. His standard is perfection. I can never achieve that. Does he expect perfection out of me? Well, you can say yes, he ex- re- in the sense that he expects righteousness, righteous living. Does he know that I'm going to fall short? Yeah, he knew that. Even before he created the wor- world, even before he died on the cross, he knew that he was going to have to continue to pile the burden of sin upon his shoulders as he's on there. It blows my mind, blows my mind on what Christ has done for me. And I'm just blessed by that. So we are called to equip the saints, right? So if you look at this, this is a passage to the church. This is a passage to believers. This, it, does that mean there's no, nothing for unbelievers? No. It means that there's some commands in here. And there's commands through the rest of Ephesians that pertain to those who put Christ first in their life. They've, they've said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I'm going to surrender and submit to your ways. This is how you surrender and submit, okay? So if you see someone that is surrendering and submitting this way, you could ask them, hey, do you happen to be a Christian? Because you seem to have these Christian principles in your life. And they may be... There's some people I've met that, that are, are like that, and they would say, no, I'm not a Christian. I just um, have good moral character, okay? Um, there's pe- most of the people, though, that I see like that, it's like, yes, how could you tell? I could tell by how you live, you know? And that is a testimony. So we're called not only to live like that, but to equip the next generation to do that as well. We are to set the example for those down below us. And we should have an example set for us from somebody previous to us, right? There's um, somebody, words of wisdom and thing. I think of my dad, somebody that's faithful. I think of my parents. I think of um, different people in different situations. If I think of somebody that's good at administration and things like that, I think of my wife and how uh, she's diligent in that, and it comes easy for her. Uh, that doesn't come easy for me. That's a chore for me. Okay, so there's there's different people I look up to, and I use different examples. And all of those people are at least attempting to walk in righteousness. Right? My parents have set an example for me. My brother has set a good example for me. Um, many of the elders here have set a good example from example for me. And there's plenty of examples as well. So we're called to equip the saints. God has an expectation for growth in the local church. 
okay? God has an expectation for growth in the local church. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, it says, Like newborn babies, you must crave spiritual milk so that you will grow in a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have a taste of the Lord's kindness. It says, kindness, Lord, leads us to repentance. When we should be harsh on somebody, but yet we're kind to them, that is something that says, hey, there's something different about these people. I got to know more. I was very disobedient. We've had kids come into the youth group. I've had adults come to church, and they will be defiantly disobedient just to see how you're going to treat them. How, how's the church going to treat them? I will come. I've, we've seen kids come in, um, in dressed in all black, all the, all the things. Um, sometimes they even have satanic symbols right on their shirts. We don't care, right? Because where else are they going to find Jesus if they don't come here, right? So that's what we're looking for. And so like once we've come to the faith, we need to have a craving for that God's word. We need to have a craving for his teachings and to know those things. Because if we don't, then where are we at in our relationship with God? It's probably not tuned into where it could be. Maybe it's close to where it should be, but it's not where it could be, right? So we're approaching there, but we're not. So we need to get right with the Lord, repent, and um, have work on that desire again. Find people in our lives that are craving God like that, and I want to get more time with them as well. We've talked about that in the past. So I believe this craving is to know God is here at White Rose. I think there is a desire to know God. And I have found in my life, if there's something that is important to me, I make time for it. Do you find that in your life as well? If there's something that's, in, I'm going to make a priority. I make I make time for it, like our family. You think about the holidays. We, we have, there's almost an unwritten expectation you're going to see family around the holidays at my house, right? Because they're important. They're, they're something that I want to bring in. And if I'm not satisfied with the time that I got with them, do I tell them to come, well, you need to visit me more? No, I, go, I try to make a priority to to visit them, to call them, and put in my part in that relationship. The same is with the Lord, right? If I want more time with the Lord, I need to prioritize my time so I get more time with him, okay? So if it's important to me, then I'm going to pour into it more. And then if I'm not doing it well, I want to know how can I do, what can I do to make it better, okay? Am I getting enough time in God's word? Am I getting enough time with prayer? And what's my prayer life look like? You know, I've been asking uh, Elijah specifically, but um, many for the last five years, my prayer life is not where it should be. I really, I've had better prayer life than I do currently right now, okay? And I just, I don't know, two weeks ago was the first time that I actually had a mentality of prayer that is where I was five, six years ago back when I was a young pastor and I only had like two kids to worry about instead of four, right? Um, so what has changed in my life? And there's a lot of different things that have gone on and things, nothing necessarily bad, but busyness, right? Lots of schedule. And 
am I, I'm not making priority for that prayer. And when I do, it's, it's starting to come back. And I'm not saying it's, it's arrived, but I know when it's missing, and that's a good sign, okay? If you know when something's missing means, oh, you better get back to it because you don't notice it for long, okay? I'll say that too. It's a warning. You don't notice it's missing for long because um, pretty soon it gets really bad, and then you really notice it. But what I'm saying is that little tinge like, what did I do today? I bet I didn't pray, right? And so I'm getting it back into that. So I'm really excited about that. But there's, there's other things that when we don't make these priorities and when things seem to be going wrong, sometimes that's a red flag. Sometimes that we'll make, use that as an excuse to stop, right? Well, I'm not going to pray anymore because nothing's resolving. This is worthless, this doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't understand what I'm reading in the Bible, I, so why should I read it at all? Right? Well, take that logic to breakfast. You eat breakfast every morning. You don't necessarily remember what you ate for breakfast that morning, but um, it sure nourishes you. And if you read the same passage over and over and over, it will eventually pop. And if it still doesn't, you ask God. If it still doesn't, then you have to ask me. That's right. That's right part of my job. I know, all right, what's this mean? Right? If there wasn't anything that, so I'm thinking when I'm growing up, I, be, I was a senior in high school. The Bible study that I went to, the Bible study that I led, both kind of crumbled and fell. So I'm like, all right, I'm going down to this other church. I'm going to go to their pastors having a Bible study for their youth, and we're going to go to that. So if I wasn't able to get it or find it in that provision, I'm going to go search for it, and I'm going to find other people that will do it. So if I can't find it, then I'm going to create it. He, he um, got fired from that church. We went back to our church, and we started our own Bible study and, and pressed on. Or I could do this. I could settle for stuck. I don't, I don't have that stuff in my life. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I'm just going to quit, right? We do that all the time, right? We settle. Well, that for me is not an option anymore because every time I feel myself settling for something, I'm like, no, no, I'm not, that's unacceptable in my life. I'm not going to do that anymore. So I made it a priority in my life not to settle for stuck, right? Settle for stuck. Can't get a math problem. What do you do? You go ask the teacher. You ask the smartest kid in the class. But you don't leave the page blank, right? And so you ask. Ask for help. But I can't go out there and create things. I can't just go out and find something on my own. Well, can't, can't do what can't, didn't try. Right? You ever heard that one before? Can't, can't do what can't, didn't try. Trying's better than not doing it at all. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly at the beginning. With the expectation it's going to get better. I believe that this is the point of us being called in the first place. When God's putting that, placing that call in your heart and he is walking to this and he's like, you know, you, you really need to get into this. You really need to do this. You really need to be there. And sometimes it comes in the form of our children. I really want to go to that church. I want to do this. I want to know what this is all about. Maybe it comes in the form of a friend. Have you ever thought about this? 
God puts those callings in our lives. Amen? But what I find is when we get there, we don't feel qualified. Right? I don't feel qualified to go to church. I've sinned a lot this week. Well, guess what? Church is the perfect place for sinners, right? Because your pastor gets up here every week, and I sin every week, every day, probably close to mostly every hour. Because um, I'm a prideful man, right? And we all can be that way. And so as we go through these things, if I can humble myself before the Lord, he's going to lift me up. And when I get lifted up by the Lord, then I can walk in faith and like that. So I am not qualified to be up here preaching necessarily, but he has qualified me because he has called me to this job. Okay? I don't have a degree in Bible teaching other than an online through the missionary church. It's probably kind of a weak degree in, in when it comes to degree of things, right? I've learned, honestly, I've told you this, I think I told you this last week. Most of my Bible knowledge comes from Moody Radio. Listening to the pre- preachers on Moody Radio, it comes from my family. It comes from being in my Bible quite a bit on my own. It comes from my brother spurring me on and, and many others his age pouring into kids my age who poured into kids younger than us. Three generations, we saw, we saw some really cool discipling going on when I was in youth group, and I don't want to go down that road, but it was really neat. As the, not that it was bad, it's just I could talk to on that for an hour in itself. So as elders of White Rose, we have responsibility, don't we? I believe it is our job to train the body up in three different areas. We have the, the responsibility to bring the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we prioritize on Sunday mornings. Right? This is why we have Sunday mornings. And a lot of times when we get to that point as parishioners, this is where we like to stop. We like to hear the Sunday morning knowledge and that's it. Right? But God calls us to more than that. Not only are we supposed to know the what and the why, we're supposed to know how to do it. So we need to know how to put this into practice. This is why we have men's group, women's group, foundations, youth group. All those things help us not only to put it up here, but put it into our hands and our feet, right? And into our heart. Because if the heart is won over, the hands and feet will follow really quickly. Okay? So we have all these things. And we will also get to that point, well, I'll go to the next thing. I'll go to the next thing just as long as somebody else is leading it right? Somebody else is in charge or somebody else does that. But remember, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. So if he's putting on your heart that you're supposed to be there or you're supposed to be leading, then you need to step up your game and humble yourself and figure out how to get it done. Because all of us were there at some point in time, right? When Craig was asked to be a Sunday school teacher. Your first answer was, can't do it. Nope, can't do it. When I was called to it, I was like, nope, that's not what I'm supposed to do. Jonah, hey, go to the Ninevites. Nope, goes, don't be a Jonah, guys. He got swallowed by a stinking whale, right? We don't want to be that. So there's more than that, though, 
There's more than the knowledge, and this is how we put it into practice. God calls us to evangelize, share the gospel. And we hear evangelism, and we think, oh, well, I can't do that. But that's as easy as knowing your 22nd testimony, right? This is who I was before God. I was a broken individual that didn't know my identity in life. And then Jesus happened. Now I have a purpose, and I have a, he has a plan for my life, and I know where I'm going to go when I die. Do you have a story like that? 20 seconds. Boom. If you can get that, and you learn how to incorporate that into a conversation, uh, some people will be like, yeah, I have a story like that. Great. I want to hear it. Let's hear your testimony. People are like, no. Do you want to hear about it? No. Well, then you keep praying for that person. Um, you want to hear about it? Or you have a story like that? No. Do you want to hear more? Yeah. Well, what do I do now? I don't even know how to share the gospel. Right? If you want to learn how to share the gospel, there's the bridge illustration, if you've ever learned that. There's the Romans Road, if you've ever learned that. And then there's the three circles. And I can see you all writing this down real quick. So you got those down so you can look them up later. Right? Three circles, bridge, uh, the Romans Road. All those are very good. And things we've taught before. I've taught the three circles to us on Sunday morning. You guys loved it because you got to go and, and get up and share with one another, and you thought that was so much fun. That's sarcasm, right? But we should be able to do that, right? This is a church family. We should be, we should be scared to go talk and put our faith into practice. I think that's one thing that bothers me a great deal as a pastor is People aren't willing to put their faith into practice right in this room. That may be the most discouraging thing for me as a pastor that you could ever do to me. So, and I know, well, I'm introverted, and I'm this, and I'm that. I get it. I get it. I understand. I'm new. I don't expect that out of new people necessarily, right? But I do expect growth. I have that expectation in my life, and I have that in the membership's life, the elder's life, and if you're a regular tender. How do we do that? Read God's word and pray. Simple, simple, simple. But it's hard, 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 right? And uh, so it was evangelism and then making disciples, right? We're called to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. How do we do that? We set examples and we show them how, right? So not only am I going to read the Bible and pray, but I'm going to show others how to read the Bible and pray, right? And they're going to, I'm going to have the expectation that they need to teach somebody else how to read the Bible and pray, okay? So the church is called to equip the body to grow in a healthy body of Christ, and our message is the gospel. Who's at the center of the gospel? Jesus is, right? Gospel means good news. Good news is the message of Jesus Christ. And Jesus calls the gospel the path, the gospel path, the narrow road. He says it like we read in the call to worship this morning, Matthew 7, 13, and 14. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and his gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few can enter it. Only a few can enter it. Does that bring terror to you a little bit? It should. It should. Am I walking the walk that I keep talking about? Ooh, you can say it like that. That 
it does bring a little terror, right? So what do I say? Every time, believers, we are supposed to be walking the walk we're talking about. If we're not, there's something wrong. And you got to ask yourself, are you really a believer in the first place? That's a tough question to ask yourself. Praise God for repentance. Praise God for his forgiveness that we do have. And praise God, and this is an unusual one, for guilt. Because that means the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart right there, and you can keep pressing forward, right? Because he's working on you if you're feeling guilty, okay? That's not, guilt's not necessarily a bad thing. Sin was a bad thing. The guilt is a result of, of the sin, okay? Jesus takes it further than that, than the narrow road. He defines the narrow road as himself. In John 14, 6, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not only is the, the way to heaven narrow, there's only one way in. There's only one way in. And that's trouble for a lot of people. What do, what do you hear in our society more and more and more? There's, there's lots of road to heaven. There's lots of way to get in. Right? That's just simply not true. The gospel message is Jesus. And we learned earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, 4 through 6, it says, There is only one body, one spirit, and you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. This one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all, living through all. Folks, if it doesn't come into harmony with Jesus, it's no good. If it doesn't jive with Jesus, it's no good. If it doesn't profess Jesus as its Lord and Savior, it is not. It doesn't belong in the church. Okay? It's fake. There's a lot of things today that profess that they they say they're Christian, but they don't act Christ-like. There's a lot of people that say that God is love, but they don't profess Jesus' as love. They don't profess Jesus is coming back. They don't profess God's wrath as well, okay? So they only give you one side of the gospel, and that's dangerous because God is wrath because he hates sin. He doesn't hate you. He hates sin, and God is love because he's going to rescue us from his sin, from our sin, not his sin, right? He takes it as his responsibility, so if it doesn't profess Jesus as Savior, it's fake. He's fake. Don't listen to him. Right? And if any of you guys watch Elf, he smells like beef and cheese. Right? Sits on a throne of lies. Yes, sits on a throne of lies. That's right. The church is called to equip the body to grow a healthy body of Christ. You can see that in that passage. It's, it's circular. But we can't do this without the help of the Holy Spirit. It also says that in that passage. As we learned about last week, we can't do this without the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot manifest any spiritual gift without the Holy Spirit. What are the spiritual gifts? Some called to be prophets, apostles, teachers, evangelists. And I'm missing the last one. It's in uh, verse 13. Or four, must be 14. I got 13 in front of me. It's not there. Um, we, we learned about this last week. It, 
It can't manifest any of the spiritual gifts without the Holy Spirit. And we cannot have the gift of salvation without God present, right? If God's not living in your heart, that would be the Holy Spirit. You don't have salvation, right? If you're trying to do it your way, but um, trying to be morally good and going to church, that doesn't work either, okay? I know God. I, I know, I believe that Jesus was alive, and I believe that he was, and I think, I, I believe most of what he says. Is that person going to heaven? No. According to that sentence, he's not. No. He, he needs to keep talking, right? And I've surrendered to God's grace, and now I'm going to put his path in front of me. Being a good person doesn't get you anywhere. It's a lie to the highway to hell. Because that would be works-based. And we want to be grace-based, which means Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's simple, but yet so complex, isn't it? Christ's victory over Satan, over death and sin, is the deposit of spiritual gifts in the church. When he defeated that, he released the, well, when he, when he released the Holy Spirit onto the earth, which is in Acts chapter 2-ish, um, then he um, allowed the, the gifts to come as well. Ephesians 4.13, this will come, this will continue until all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. The maturation process starts and ends with Jesus. We have to real, recognize that we have a need for Jesus, that we need to surrender to him, and then we need to walk with Jesus toward heaven. And once we get to heaven, who's going to be there to enter, to, to bring us in? Jesus is, right? So it starts with Jesus, it ends with Jesus, right? Ooh, it gives me chills. Because the church is called to equip the body to grow a healthy body of Christ. We could equip a poor body, couldn't we? It would not be healthy. God doesn't have that expectation. He has an expectation for a healthy body. Let's continue on. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy growing and full of love. Very cool. So we need to start like children, right? Craving that spiritual milk, longing to have that relationship more and more. But once we've matured in our faith, we can't no longer take spiritual milk or just spiritual milk, the simple teachings, we need to crave the meat and potatoes of the gospel, the hard truth. There's a God who loves us, but there's a God who can't be in the presence of sin. And his wrath is coming to destroy sin. 
And if I don't choose Christ, he's going to destroy me. And so I know Christ has defeated death and sin. So if I surrender to him, I have an opportunity for eternal life. Right? So I need to grow up in Christ. Immaturity is not allowed to be normal in the church. Did you know that? If you are an immature Christian, I'm happy for you. I'm glad, one, that you're a Christian. But God has an expectation that you grow and continue that growth in Christ. Okay? That is, did you know that? Like, there's, so here, here's an example of immaturity. I come to church to know. I come to church to find out how. Okay? Here's a little bit more mature Christian. I come to church so I can encourage others to know, and I can encourage others to find out how. Here's a more mature Christian. I come to church to encourage those who are encouraging others to grow in their faith. Can you see three generations there? When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want you to encourage me and mine. How can you do that to your pastor? Pastor, that's what I was learning about today, this week in the Bible. Oh, I, you got my whole attention. What have you learned? I'm excited about this, right? What do I always say? That gets my gizzard, right? I'm excited about those stories. Call me up anytime you, got, you learn something in your Bible. I, I'd love to hear about it. But here's another example. We all want to be concerned about the second coming of Christ, right? Where's the best, the best for this? Best passage of scripture to know the second coming of Christ is Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, it, Jesus tells us what it's going to be like when he comes again for the second time. And I believe Christ, I on the other hand believe Christ is more concerned about the things he says about in chapter 25 than he is chapter 24. Now he says them together. So one goes with the other, right? 24 comes. These are the signs. This is how you should act. Okay, if you just study 24 and leave out 25, you're missing the point. If you just study 25 without doing 24, you're going to miss the point as well. So they go in tandem. But at the end of 20, or 24 says the end is coming. We don't know when it, when it is, but here's some of the signs. Keep watch. At the end of 24 starts these illustrations. There's three illustrations, and then he gives a fourth story, right? Uh, end of 24, 45 through 51, it says, the master goes away, and when he comes back, he will find a servant that is, will he find a servant that's prepared his house for him? Will his house be in order? Or will he find a wicked servant who has not been faithful and squandered the master's wealth and the opportunity the servant had and the resources? Everything that we have has been given from the Lord, right? We are stewards of that. When we become Christians that are mature in our faith, we understand that my car doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the Lord. I use it for the Lord's will, right? My house doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the Lord. I'm a steward of that house to use that resource so I can bring it to ministry. My children, whew, this one's going to be a hard one, folks, hard one. 
They don't belong to me. They belong to the Lord. He has allowed me to have them, so I will train them up in the ways they should go and allow them to minister to others. When is the hardest time to let your kid go? When they're hurting or they're disobedient, in my opinion. Sometimes you're like, yeah, right, get, get them out the door. No, that's when parents cling. We cling to our kids then, right? When they're hurting, they're sick, we're like, no, I got to make them better, but I can't. That's when we have this real, reality that I can't fix my kid. And if you don't give up your kid to the Lord, it can be very dangerous there. So when we give him up, not my will, but your will be done, then I believe I can, in, in my personal opinion, I can pray more effectively for my kids because God's in charge. It's not my responsibility near as much. He's carrying that burden. Then we will look at Matthew chapter 25, 1 through 13. It says the, it's the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Five were prepared for the bridegroom coming. Five were not. The five that were not said to the five that were prepared, give us some of your oil. And they said, we can't. He's still a long way off. He might, we might run out of oil. Go quick to the market, get your oil for yours, and then come back, and we will both welcome him in. But as they were off, the bridegroom came, the groom came, and the five attendants came into the wedding. And then the five, the five wise ones did. The five foolish ones come to the door, and they say, let us in. We're here. We're ready to be part of the party. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Right? Did they, did they know about the party? Yeah. Did they know there was a wedding? Did they know who the, the groom was? Yeah, they knew who the groom was because they, were, they, were, they used to be five of the ten attendants, right? But when they didn't prioritize the groom first in their life, and they thought they knew what they needed, they weren't prepared for what was to come. And that's when God sends them off and says, hey, we can't do that. All right. And then he warns them at, he says, I don't know you. And then after that, he warns them the same way he does in Matthew 24. Keep watch. Be prepared. Matthew 25, 14 through 30, the parable of three servants. We have the parable. We have the servant that has five bags of gold. We have the one that has three and one that has one bag of gold. The one in the master goes away for a time, he comes back. He comes back and he says to the one that has five, what have you done for me? I've taken your five bags of gold and I've earned you five more. He says, good. Um, give him 10 bags and, and go there. In another passage, he says, give him 10 cities to be in charge of. All right? For the three, what have you done? I've earned three more. Same, you take that and, and continue on. To the one, he says, what have you done? And Matthew 25 starts in verse 24, says, then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. Who's the master in the story? Jesus is telling the story. Who's the master? 
It'd be Jesus, right? Jesus is calling himself a harsh man. He harvests crops that he did not plant, and he's gathering crops he did not cultivate. Right? That's a little bit of hard, hard word there. And he calls, and he, he's not wrong. That Severin is not wrong. Right? He's telling him the truth. And Jesus says, you wicked and lazy servant. I gave you an opportunity to serve me, and you did not take it. When we have the gifts of the Spirit that we have, when we have the gift of salvation, and we don't do anything with it, we are just the same as this servant. More specifically, if we have the gift of salvation which would be like our one bag of gold, and we don't do anything with it, you're in danger of going to hell. I'm going to say that right now. That's a tough word. Because faith without works is dead. We read that in James. We read that from Jesus. Right? There's an expectation of growth that goes along with our faith. So then he says... Take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use it well, what they're given, even more will be given. Those, and they will have an abundance. But those who do nothing, even what little they have, will be taken away. Now, now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? And that is hell, Right? Not a place I want to go. So I have a little bit of fear that goes along with my faith. Am I good enough? No, I'm not. Okay, all right. Well, that stinks. What do I have? Am I surrendered? Okay, I need to get right with the Lord. Now he is good enough. How can I serve him better? See the process that's changed there? That's maturing in my faith. Took me a long time to figure that out. It shouldn't have taken me as long as it did. When we are good stewards of the time, talent, and treasure that He has given us, He will bless us with much more character, much more responsibility as well. Likewise, faith without action is not faith at all. The heart, the heart complies. Okay, there it is. That's the wrong word. The heart compels the hands and feet to move. Are we moving forward toward our goals, toward Christ's goal? Are they coming together? Our goals and Christ's goal, are they becoming one? When we see that unity, then we are in harmony with Christ. And when we are in harmony with Christ, we can move forward in the, because the church is called to equip the body to grow up in the healthy body of Christ. Speak the truth in love. This requires patience. They have to come to consider the conclusion on their own, in a sense. When you're trying to speak the truth of the gospel, they have to accept it for their own. It's the famous line, you can lead a horse to water, but only they can be the ones compelled to drink. Hope. Without hope, there's no reason to go. The message of the gospel is, of the gospel is all about hope. Romans 
8, 24b says, if we look forward to something that we do not have, we must wait patiently and confidently. That's the definition of hope. If we look forward to something that we do not have, we have to wait patiently and confidently that it's going to come. I have not seen Jesus. How many people here have seen Jesus? Met him, shook his hand, hugged him. No, love to do all those things. I've not got that privilege. How do you know he exists? Right? I have his word, right? And his word is do- well documented that is true. And there's a lot of things I can go into there, but you're just going to have to accept that his word's true. But I can go into a longer dissertation. I'm just not going to do that today. And I have the expectation that I'm going to heaven. Have I ever seen heaven? Has anyone ever seen heaven? No. Has anybody walked from heaven to earth? About two people. You got Jesus and Enoch, right? Um, but I haven't seen heaven, but I have the expectation that's where I'm going to go. And I know I'll end up in heaven when I die, not because of me or what I've done, but because Jesus died, rose again, and is waiting for me to live for him. And when I surrender my life to him, then he recognizes me at the end and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You can come in. It's like asking the Lord for, for babies in the nursery before we had trained workers to work the nursery. Does that make sense? Now we got a lot of people for, for nursery, but we don't have any nursery workers. So there's Yes, it's awesome to see growth, but there's growing pains that go along the growth, isn't there? We got to get out of our comfort zone and we got to go and put other needs first. And so we have, if the heart is compelled to follow through on the hands and feet, then it will be done, right? So that comes back to God's doesn't qualify the call, these calls. No. It's the other way. It's got to be the other way. It doesn't qualify the... Doesn't, I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to butcher it, so I'm just going to move on. You guys know what I mean. I'll come back to it, I promise. We love you, though. Thanks. Thanks. That's right. Moving on. Uh, faithfulness. Are you, sh- are you prepared to endure the hardships the truth can bring up? When we go through trials... Do we consider it an opportunity for pure joy? I don't, but I'm supposed to. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That is someone walking in there. Remember... God's kindness. Remember, we have plenty of sins that God and Jesus Christ could hold over our head, and they choose not to. Romans 2, 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from his sin? What is his kindness? It's his grace. God, we're in age of grace, and if you can't understand that God could come and destroy us right now, and he chooses not to, that is what God's kindness is, and he's waiting for us to come to repentance, and when we do, then he works through and in us to allow his body to be equipped and grow a healthy body of Christ. 
All of which we need to know that Christ is the head of the body, right? I'm going to close with this. Christ is the head of the body. If he's not the head of the body, then uh, we are not in Christ. Once we understand where we stand in the grand scheme of things, we surrender to a loving God who sent his son to die for us. Then we press on toward the goal that he has set for us. Each part of the body does its part. And when, a sev- and when several work together, a beautiful body of Christ grows out of it, flourishing as long as the body keeps Christ as the head. What happens when the, head tries, the hand tries to be the head? We can wave, but we can't talk, right? We can't hear anything, right? Christ is where all the information comes through. Everything's got to be processed through Christ and down to the church. Think about it this way. Have you ever had somebody that's had a stroke before? What does a stroke affect? It affects their brain, right? So if their brain is affected, does it affect the rest of their body? Yes, it does. Like many times, half of their their body will droop. It's because they've lost the ability to control that part of their body. And there's an opportunity. So half their, their body becomes dead weight in a sense, right? They can't walk. They can't talk. Sometimes their organs really have a hard time on that side of the body and things like that. And the rest of the body has to work hard to compensate. Why? It's because there's an internal head injury. When we compete for Christ like that, that we want to be in charge, we have a head injury. And it's like we're walking around with a stroke. We think we're fine because we're getting along. We can walk, but we've never experienced what it means to run. We've never experienced what it means to jump, to understand what it means to live fully in Christ because we're walking around as somebody that's like a stroke patient. And God can heal us out of that if we allow him to renew our mind. That's what it says in Romans. Likewise, when Christ is not the head of the church, it's like the body has a major head energy But when Christ takes the lead, we nourish the body with God's word, we drink of the Holy Spirit of God, and we follow his ways. It results in a healthy body growing up full in love because it it cannot help but get out there and praise the Lord in our neighborhood. We are commissioned to go, believer. You have a neighborhood that is dying to hear the truth of the gospel. And we are called to be equipped so that we can go. What does it look like to go? What does it look like to not go? There's one more story in Matthew chapter 25. And it goes like this. It's Matthew 25, 31 through 45. It says, when the Son of Man comes back, for the second coming. So he's going to be he's going to come and he's going to separate the sheep from the goat, the righteous from the unrighteous. And he's going to say to those on his right, he's going to say um, well done, that good and faithful servant. What have you what do you got going on? And he's like come come be a part of heaven, come be a part of me. And he's like, "Well, what's 
why? Where, Lord? Where did I? Why should I come to you? I don't understand that. He's like, well, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was clothed and I was in prison, you came and visited me. You gave me clothes. You took care of me. And he says, well, when did I ever do this to you, Lord? When did I ever come and close you? And he says, when you did this to the least of my brothers and sisters, you've done it to me. And he'll turn to those on the left and he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. You wicked, corrupt generation is probably what he'll say. And they'll say, but Lord, when did we not clothe you? When did we not feed you and take care of you and visit you in prison and things? And he says, when you did not do this to the least of these, you did not do it for me. People, I've been asked even this week, how can you treat somebody so kindly that I know is talking to you behind your back? How can you treat them with so much respect when I know they don't respect you at all. It's this passage of scripture right there. Because I am more concerned about their salvation than I am my reputation. I could care less about who I am in this neighborhood if Christ is in their heart. And I will beat my body and make it a slave so that some may come to know. And I hope you have that same expectation because that is a sign of maturity. So we want to hang on to our reputation more than anything. But reputations come and go. They're like the wind. They blow back and forth. That is like the reed swaying in the wind. It's our character, our character that gives us the strength, gives us the tenacity to go on. So develop your character because they can't shake your character. Only you can, or maybe the Lord, because he has something better for us. He calls us to be something different than what the world is today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time together, and we thank you that you are watching over us. Lord, forgive us when we turn away from you and that we try to do it on our own. Forgive us. When we don't see the big picture, Lord, I pray that we would get into your word and understand it in a mighty way. Lord, help us to become disciple makers. Help us to become, to develop our spiritual gifts, to understand what it knows to mean, and to love you with all our heart. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As we go through every part of this day, Help us to love you and to love the people who cross our paths, starting with our family. Don't let us miss the adventures you are sending our way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today, but draw our hearts to you and to specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into followers of Jesus who love you, who love people, who make disciples, who make more disciples, ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're dismissed.